76 with Mr. Douglas Valentine, who has the patience of a saint because I botched our meeting and thought we were talking today and we were supposed to talk. Not important. It's the author of The CIA as Organized Crime, as well as The Phoenix Program, America's Use of Terror in Vietnam. And towards the end of The Phoenix Program, you spoke a lot about Phoenix coming home and fusion centers. And admittedly, I don't know a lot about that. So I wanted you to come on and we'll talk about your new book towards the end. But just explain how has Phoenix come home and what exactly are fusion centers? Sure. Okay. Now, um, this is a really complex subject and it involves the combination of lots of different systems. And I don't want to make your listeners bug-eyed with a lot of things that aren't of any interest to them. And uh, for um, 20 years, I've been trying to find a way to talk about this stuff without making everybody fall asleep. You know, I mean, but um, uh, to put it plainly, the Department of Homeland Security was organized in 2001 after the um, 9-11 attacks on um, New York City, okay? And um, uh, the idea at the time was that, um, you know, somehow that this would, if there was a Department of Homeland Security in place, these sorts of things would never happen again. So, so the Department of Homeland Security was created to prevent things like 9-11 from happening again. All right. So um, how do you go about doing that? Well, you know, it wasn't like they didn't know it was going to happen when it happened. You know, I mean, it was, it's like um, January 6th. You know, I mean, they knew it was going to happen. People were talking about it. Trump started saying, we're going to do this even before he lost the election. You know, he said, look, if I lose this election, it's because it, it was stolen from me. You know, so he covered himself on both sides. If he wins, it's honest. If he loses, it's dishonest. And then having a sense that he would probably lose by 10 million votes, you know, he started preparing a case for how he could, you know, to create a, an insurrection that would, you know, like at least mollify his base. But it's like, the same sort of thing. It wasn't like there wasn't enough intelligence in the United States prior to 9-11 warning about this stuff. I mean, people had warnings, you know, that bin Laden was preparing to do um, attacks on the United States, to fly planes into buildings. I mean, they were having a, somebody was having a, a, a dry run the day of, the, of 9-11, where uh, they're actually pretending that planes were attacking a city. You know, I mean, they knew this sort of thing could happen. People have been talking about it for 20 or 30 years before it happened. So so anyway, um, the Department of Homeland Security gets created in, in the, within a month after the event of 9-11. People have organized what's called the Office of Homeland Security, which precedes the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security is so elaborate. I mean, if you have an organizational chart, you look at the damn thing. And like it take up like a gymnasium wall to, to show you 
all the little boxes with people's names and all the various things they do. It's this incredibly complicated organization. But when it's originally created, it's an office of Homeland Security. It's a lot less um, uh, complex. And it has a idea. And the idea is, the basic idea is that they're going to create a new military organization called NORTHCOM, Northern Command. And the United States military, after being kicked out of domestic operations for the last 25 years, and they got kicked out of domestic operations around 1975, after the church committee and all that kind of stuff found out <laughs> they're spying on everybody. <laughs> Anybody who opposed the war, uh, you know, civil rights groups, um, you know, the military was just going nuts. And uh, they had infiltrated every organization of the Gazoo. And so in 75, they weren't allowed to. Well, now all of a sudden, with 9-11, the military is back in the game. And they are the backbone of this new organization called the Office of Homeland Security. And the guy who creates the Office of Homeland Security, and when it happens, you know, I was like, I was like bug-eyed, you know what I mean? Because it's a guy who I had interviewed for my book, The Phoenix Program. And I had been a CIA officer in Vietnam. And he'd been part of Phoenix Program, <laughs> you know? And, and, and all of a sudden, all the... And, and believe me, over you know, from the time I started in, uh, researching the Phoenix program in 1983-84, it involved me having to understand bureaucratic organizations and how they they interact with each other. Now, this is the mind-numbing stuff. You know, I mean, most audiences just want to know are the Proud Boys working for the military and Homeland Security? The answer is yes, they are. You know, is Antifa infiltrated by the Department of Homeland Security? Well, I haven't actually seen any reports saying yes, they are. But, you know, uh, use your imagination. You know, I mean, if they were, if the military was infiltrating, I mean, the, 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 um, what they call oath keepers actively recruit from law enforcement and the military. So, of course, they're penetrated by the military and law enforcement and, and, and run managed by them. You know, I mean, that's no surprise. But, you know, something like Antifa, I don't know. I mean, I imagine they are because the military really wants to know what those people are doing. Mm -hmm. So they probably have provocateurs in there, too. So just to get that out of the way, just so your audience knows, this intelligence network, the Department of Homeland Security, knows everything that's going on in the country. I mean, they have agents and informants and, and uh, into every police department across the country. Well, how did you get there? And, and how did they organize it becomes the thing that you really have to understand if you want to really understand what's going on and how to change it. And it goes back to this guy, Bruce Lawler who creates the Office of Homeland Security in October of, 19, of 20, uh, 2001, okay, when, it, when the whole thing emerges like a rabbit from a magician's hat. You know, um, uh, you know it's pure magic that, that this whole thing just, like, happens, okay? And then, of course, within six months, it's this whole... Federal Department of Homeland Security, but in the you know they had to get an office 
and the office reports right to the White House, right to Bush. And that's a clue to you that the Department of Homeland Security is also a function of the presidency. As you know, it really, really receives direction from the president, and that direction is political. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have a Democratic president, he's going to you know, turn the dial ever so slightly so that more uh, companies and contractors who have some sort of connection to the Democratic Party gets jobs in this Department of Homeland Security boondock. And, and the targets become people who are, you know, like, you know, uh, 1.000 point towards the Republicans or something sure. like that, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a function of the presidency and political parties in the United States. And that's why people really want to become president and uh, install an administration because you control all these bureaucracies politically, whether it's the CIA or the FBI or the military, you know, I mean, it's the parties want to control these places by making appointments, just like judges, federal judges, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell's things, you know, appointing judges, conservative judges, anti-abortion judges. You know, and, I mean, that's that's the thing. And and you understand that these big bureaucracies are political. And more than that, they're ideological. They have an ideology that is that permeates the whole. Uh, organization, all the organizations of the United States that are military, intelligence, security, and law enforcement are all ideologically right. <laughs> Way to the right. I mean, like, more fascist than the, the New Yorkers in, in, in Nazi Germany in 1930. Uh, I've actually talked with military officers who don't you know, studies on this, and that, and the American military is more Naziistic and fascist and right-wing than the Germans were, okay? I mean, this is, you can't get a job in a police department or the military, or, you know, or the FBI or the CIA, if you're a communist or you're a leftist or you believe in civil rights, you know, the first thing they tell you when you sign up is that this is not a social service organization. This is a law enforcement organization or a military organization. And if you have some sort of ideas that that any of these intelligence or military or security forces are actually going to help you or help the public, you're out of your mind. We're here to serve corporate America. Yeah. And to protect the private property of rich people, yeah. <laughs> the people who own the company, the country, and the people that the people who are like the Koch brothers or or you know whoever is is buying presidencies, you know, and that comes down to a handful of about you know thousand people or something like that. Uh, General Motors, or you name the corporations, you know. I mean, they're the ones that that create the laws. And that fund the presidencies and all that stuff. So basically, these organizations have a little bit of political competition where the Republicans and the Democrats both want to control them, but essentially they're ideological organizations and they're dedicated to preserving capitalism and the uh, prerogatives of the wealthy people in this country. So they're not really diffuse. You know, I mean, they're not out there organizing Antifa 
demonstrations unless it's a provocation so that the, the, the Proud Boys can come sweeping in. All right, so this is the distinction between how they the, the relationship with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers as opposed, as opposed to Antifa, the, the Department of Homeland Security and all these other places. They, they actually are trying to, you know, advance the ideology of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and de destroy the ideology of Antifa. And, and they might deal with both these organizations, but the ideological purpose is opposite, okay? And this is, you know, so this is another thing you got to understand. But anyway, getting back to the creation, the, you know, how this thing was created, they call on this guy Bruce Long, and the author, you know, and I remember writing an article about it in October uh, uh, 2001, about you know how I knew this guy Waller and I and what this Office of Homeland Security was about and what it was going to become. I mean, it was obvious to me, and if it was obvious to me, who's a you know complete outsider, it meant that everybody who was involved with it knew exactly what they were doing. But Lawler had been a CIA officer in Vietnam in 1971, 72, and 73, and um, uh, he was involved with. Um, the Phoenix program and tangential CIA programs that were trying to kill all the communists in South Vietnam. I mean, that was, they were not trying to kill the right way. Yeah. 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 This is not what the, our military and CIA, they, they are waging a war against communism. And, and uh, anybody who supports communism in the United States, a leftist, an anti-war person, a pro, you know, I mean, in the 60s, they kept, you know, they, they kept saying the protesters against civil rights that it's communist organized. I mean, if you go back and you Google the protests from the 1960s, the black people are all dressed in suits, you know, and, 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 and they're, they're not doing anything violent and they're, and they're being attacked by white people who have signs that say civil rights is, is communist plot. You know, I mean, this is this is this is what America is, okay? And and uh, so, if you're for civil rights, if you're against the war, you know, because war is America's business, um, uh, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, that's and business is good, and uh, and I, you know, it, it started becoming that way. I just have to go back a little bit more after World War Two. And after World War II, the United States certainly suddenly found itself in control of a lot of countries around the world. It was a military occupation force in Japan, the Philippines, in Germany, in Italy, in Austria. Um, uh, it had all of a sudden the, the forces that had invaded these countries. You know, a lot of them stayed, and they created military bases, and they started hiring people like Reinhard Gellin, who had run, who had run the the, um, uh, the intelligence operations against the Soviet Union during World War II. Well, the first thing the Americans do is hire this guy. I mean, he's a Nazi. He was running death camps, you know, and the SS and the, and, and the Gestapo worked for this guy. And the first thing the Americans do is hire him and, and have him activate his intelligence uh -huh. against, uh, against Portland. And he hires a staff of a thousand people. 
all who all who are SS officers and, and Gestapo agents, and these guys all get a pass from the Americans, and they go back to wage war against communists. You know, I mean, and this is the the ideology of the American military, of its intelligence forces, and of law enforcement at home. You know, Jim Crow, uh, keeping the blacks down if they start getting out of you know out of step. You know, it's a, they're communists. You don't kill them. And uh, so uh, this guy, Lawler, comes out of that envelope. He comes from a little town in Vermont. And um, he wanted to be a, um, I think he, he was at Georgetown University studying to be a, um, a, a, an attorney, a lawyer, and gets recruited into the CIA. And they send him to Vietnam. And his job is, is you know, uncovering communist agents and and who are you know um actually nationalists who've been fighting first they were fighting the the chinese and they were fighting the french then they were fighting the japanese and then when the war world war ii was over the united states reinserted the vichy french back in control of, of vietnam you know i mean these were colonialists and there was, so the, the, the what they were known at the time was the the viet Minh, and they were a national a front for a bunch of different nationalist groups not just communists but the communists had, had um, the biggest appeal to the people who were all peasants and they you know landless peasants and and um so they you know 99 percent of the population backed them Mm-hmm. And this guy named Ed Lansdale, who is a very famous spy that Flusher Browdy accused of killing Kennedy, um, created the term Viet Cong in 1956. You know, it sounded like um, King Kong, you know, mid the merciless. Uh, it, it just had this ring of it. I mean, but the, <laughs> the communists in Vietnam never called themselves Viet Cong. Really? <laughs> it was a word that the... The Americans created in 1956, and they started sprinkling it around after they had kicked the French out, sprinkling it around in newspapers that they controlled, and pretty soon it becomes this term. And, you know, by the time the war starts 10 years later, all these American guys, you know, dumb, 99% of them are just dumb American boys who've been watching John Wayne movies since they could, their eyes opened, you know, think, well, I'm going to go fight the Viet Cong. Sure. Which is a made-up organization, and um, you know, a made-up name that doesn't exist, and, and they're so deluded about what they're fighting that that's what they go there and they do. And this guy Bruce Lawler is one of them. Okay, uh, it's it's just crazy. It's it, it it's called psychological warfare, and it's the you you know creating a name like this, like uh, creating a name like Al Qaeda. You know, I mean, you realize that. Al Qaeda never called itself Al Qaeda. Really? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a name that the CIA made up and, and imposed upon, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, these are all um, uh, scripts that the CIA is writing, and then and then through, you know, um, Hollywood and, and newspapers here in the United States and uh, other, you know, television and the media outlets um, that they control. They're creating this reality. They're creating an enemy that's that's horrible that we can fight. Saddam Hussein, you know, Saddam Hussein is 
tearing babies, little babies from in their incubators from, from their oxygen and, and throwing them to a pack of wolves that are waiting outside the window. You know, I mean, not true. Okay, it didn't happen. You know, I mean, it's stuff that they're making up. Uh, and uh, they do it on grand scale all the time because they control the media. However, they want more and more control all the time. Anyway, so this guy, Bruce Waller, who's the epitome, and who, if you can understand him and all these ideological and organizational forces that are converging, you can understand the Department of Homeland Security. He gets mad at the CIA of Vietnam and he quits. He accuses his boss's deputy of having an affair with a Viet Cong agent. <laughs> the women of Vietnam are beautiful and 90% of the guys that go to Vietnam go for a year, six months, and they have um, relationships with as many Viet, pretty Vietnamese girls as they can, and they go home. You know, nobody's like actually living there and, and trying to establish, a, you know, um, relations with the Vietnamese. They're just exploiting them. Uh, war and pornography are the same thing, uh, which is, you know, why men wage war and why men control the country and why only they ever have male presidents and why the Pope's a man, and the, the, the rabbis are all men, and, and, and the priests are all men, you know, although the Catholic priests, of course, are not just men, they're also men who are praying and little boys, you know, because why else become a priest if you can't get little boys? Anyway. Um, it's part of the perk. So anyway, we're in a patriarchal society, and that's part of it, too, but this offends this guy, Bruce Lawler, and he, and he rats out his boss's deputy, and, and um, he says, I don't understand. How could this be? He's a young, innocent guy at the time, and he doesn't understand that all these CIA guys are just in it for the power and the money and having a good time. And it offends him. So he gets kicked out of the CIA, and he goes back to Vermont and um, um, decides he's going to run in the Democratic Party for attorney general of the state of Vermont. And he's actually becoming kind of a liberal guy. And, you know, he's going to join the Democrats. And, and anyway, so he starts this campaign for attorney general of the Democratic Party, you know, in the election. And he's running against two or other th three other people who are um, in the um, uh, campaign for attorney general. And a bunch of old hippies up in Vermont found out that he was in the CIA in the Phoenix program. <laughs> and they start, they start blasting him, you know. And all of a sudden, there's people with pitchforks and, and torches <laughs> outside his house at night accusing him of being a war criminal. And poor Bruce Lawler. I can't believe it. And um, it's like, where do I go in the world? You know, no... At first, I wanted to be in the CIA and the military and a champion for for America. And it turned out that these guys were all corrupt and self-serving warlords. So I, I got out of that. And then I tried to be a good guy. And then the liberals came after me. So from that day on, Bruce Lawler hates liberals. I mean, he really, that cost him the, um, uh, the election up there in Vermont. I really, really hate peace snicks. And liberals and hippies, you know, especially women uh, hippies, you know, because they were the ones that were leading the charge against them. And this is a phenomenon 
that you see all throughout um, the military and the police uh, is that they really don't like women at all. You know, I mean, they, feminism, uh, um, you know, they treat women like Trump. You know, I mean, they're just uh, sex objects. And, and, and if you have female qualities, you know, then you're not really a man. And, and um, uh, you know, like the drill instructor mm-hmm. in that movie, um, Full Metal Dragon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of your people uh, uh, listen and have seen this. It's a Stanley Kubrick movie that 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 um, uh, satirizes the Marine Corps and the world uh, and the Vietnam War. And first half of the movie about all these Marine recruits and the drill instructor just constantly calls them fags and 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 and, and uh, all their little uh, marching cadences are about. Uh, abusing women mm-hmm. and treating women as, you know, and this is what the military drives into people. It's recruits. When they break down all their um, uh, ideas of goodness so that they can become killers, you know, any kind of connection that they have to humanity. Because when you go to war, yeah. it's not like you're just killing Japs in bunkers or, or SS officers. You know, nowadays you're killing Children, old people, you know. So you got to really make these guys, you know, a good Marine just wants to kill anybody. You know, I mean, just kill, kill. You know, I'm a killing machine, a mean, mean fighting machine. And so you got to dehumanize all these people. And and so the Stanley Kubrick movie really drives that home, that uh, militarism and pornography and, and abuse of women are the same thing. I mean, these things are, indis- you know, so this this anti-feminism becomes part of the whole uh, law enforcement, military intelligence uh, ideology. And it's at the beginning of it, and now Bruce has adopted that too. Okay, he, he originally was teetering, you know, and uh, he, typical of so many of these guys who are, you know, how can I put it? unstable and uh, uh, so he goes back and he tries to get in the fold and he goes in to a guy named William Colby and Colby had been a guy that career future program in South Vietnam and he'd been a career CIA officer and um, been in the OSS in World War II uh, was head of the Colby was head of the Far East Asia Division from 1961 to 1967 and basically created the Vietnam War Anyway, so with his tail between his legs, Lawler goes back to um, to Colby and says, please forgive me. Colby's a Catholic, and I think Lawler's a Catholic, too. I don't know, maybe, you know, it helps if you're a Catholic because you can give forgiveness. I'm not really just trying. I'm kind of just, you know, I'm not a lot of good Catholic friends. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is, a, it is a phenomenon what goes on. And uh, anyway, um, so he gets back in the fall. And Colby arranges for him to get back into the military. And and uh, Lawler, uh, throughout the late 1980s and into the 1990s, because he has this CIA connection, steadily rises through the military ranks. And in 1999, Bruce Lawler gets put in charge in the military of the military's the, the division, the department within the Department of Defense, and he's now a major general. Uh, you know, I mean, he's got 
medals all over his jacket, you know, and little braids and, you know, all this stuff. And, and uh, um, uh, becomes a major general, and he runs what's called civic affairs branch of the United States military in the United States. And civic affairs, the military civics of civic affairs, is the branch of the military that deals with the civilian population. All right. And this is the thing that they've been perfecting since World War II, since they started occupying countries like Germany, Japan, uh, Austria, I mean, all over the world. They had to find a way. The military now ran these countries. Well, how do you deal with the civilian populations in these countries? And they created this whole division of psychological warfare and civic affairs so that they would start learning how to deal with, with civilians, which up until the World War II is something that the United States military ever did. I mean, the only thing relationship they ever had with civilians was dropping hydrogen bombs on them or, 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 or um, you know, rolling over, you know, destroying French villages on their way towards Berlin. You know, I mean, they had no regard for civilians. You know, get out of the way or I'll kill you. I mean, that was it. Yeah. And, and when they wanted the women, they gave them candy bars and nylon stockings, you know, and, and their, their village had just been bombed, and they were glad to get that stuff, you know. And so so that was the extent of it. So they had to start getting it to be more sophisticated than bombing people and then giving the, the surviving women, women chocolate bars and nylon stockings to have sex with And they developed these civic affairs and psychological warfare branches, and they keep evolving. Um, that's why they create the Green Berets, the Special Forces, in, in 1951, you know, so that they can start have this group of guys who dress in civilian clothes and they, and they go out into foreign countries and they create, uh, like Tom Dooley, I don't know if you ever heard of him, he was his favorite, famous Catholic missionary in Laos and Vietnam, and he would cre- create little medical centers in these like faraway countries in the remote areas and um he would deliver medicine to the natives you know well this is what the the special forces they go out into laos cambodia and south vietnam and all throughout south america and they create these little medical centers and they dispense you know um uh smallpox shots to people or or you know they they treat their wounds and um, while they're doing this, they hire them as informants, <laughs> and then they and then they send them to to schools, and they they indoctrinate them to become their agents. You know, and they start spreading agent that's all around the world. And this is the essence of civic affairs and psychological warfare. And it evolves from World War II with all these occupational forces, which the military had never been you know really involved with before. You know, I mean when they were spying on Americans in the 60s and 70s. You know, they just spied on them. You know, I mean, it wasn't like they were trying to make friends with them and and disguise that they were spying on them. But now all of a sudden, in the 1980s and 90s, they're really trying to um, uh, find a way where they can, uh, and, and the propaganda is, meanwhile, the psychological warfare is building against American civilians and um, they've gotten over the Vietnam War syndrome. You know, how could America lose a war? You know, well, the peaceniks. 
and you know, blame it on the you know, Rocky. You know, I mean, the Rocky movie comes out in 1985. You know, and and uh, we didn't lose the war. It was the peace You know, sold us out. You know, and then he shoots 400 people. <laughs> And and this become and all of a sudden now everybody in America is going to have an automatic weapon and hate peace sticks, you know. And all these movies are building up through the eighties and nineties, and when when twenty when two thousand and one comes along, the nine eleven, Bruce Lawler is there in place, and he's head of the military's civic affairs and psychological warfare branch in the United States. And what does he do? He creates the Office of Homeland Security, which establishes the Northern Command, which is the first time the United States military actually has a command in the United, in the continental United States, and it becomes the background of this office. And all the law enforcement agencies of the federal government and the state governments and local governments are all built around this. And at the center of it is not just the military, this NORTHCOM, but the CIA, which has inserted Bruce Lawler into the military, because the CIA is much better at all the civic affairs and psychological warfare than the military. The military is always a couple of years behind the CIA with this, you know, kind of propaganda, psychological warfare, scientific, you know, psychological studies and stuff. And the CIA is at the bottom of it. So now they create this Office of Homeland Security based on his military NORTHCOM, which is going to now continue the indoctrination and and advance the ideological indoctrination of all the federal, and that's like FBI, uh, you know, um, uh, law enforcement, you know, throughout the Department of Justice, any federal uh, customs, ICE, uh, cust- you know, the uh, DEA, all the federal law enforcement agencies are now going to be uh, subject to control by this new Department of Homeland Security, which means they're going to be getting this ideological direction from these people, which is, first of all, anti-communist, anti-Muslim, anti-woman, anti-peace, pro-war, and this whole thing, and it now control it now establishes control for all this psychological warfare, and it sets up and brings them all together, um, along with what's called the critical infrastructure. By 2000, they were ready to integrate the internet into this system of control, of psychological and ideological control. So, so the one of the basic functions of the Department of Homeland Security is to spread the internet throughout all these things and, and to start and, and to start uh, spreading the military propaganda across the internet. And, the, and it's going to provide security for this internet, um, uh, you know, new phenomena, which, you know, has just, again, big coincidence, emerged at the same time as 9-11. And there's this whole now total reorganization of American intelligence, security, and military forces. You know, and then the war on Iraq begins uh, two years later after a careful buildup. We've already gone into Afghanistan. And this whole Department of, of Homeland Security, which controls the Internet, works with every civic organization in the United States. I mean, from the Knights of Columbus to the um, uh, 
Junior Chamber of Commerce, to the American Medical Association, to the publishers and, uh, you know, the newspaper organizations, any civic organization or labor organization, they all are part of what's now called the critical infrastructure. And this is what the Department of Homeland Security is, is created to protect the critical infrastructure, the highways. So the highway department in every every um, village, town, state, and federal agency now becomes absorbed into the Department of Homeland Security. And every there's somebody at every one of these, you know, um, at the transportation department who's an agent of the Department of Homeland Security. There's an agent of the Department of Homeland Security in every hospital because you got to have people watching out for Muslims who come, you know, are infiltrating, looking for some kind of medical help under the pretext of blowing up the hospital. And Bruce Lawler is in charge of putting this whole thing in place. Jesus. My head. Yeah. Okay. Which he does. And then, being Bruce, he has arguments with his boss, and he gets fired. And then they don't need him anymore. But it was basically absolutely built on the Phoenix program. It's The Department of Homeland Security is organized on the Phoenix program in South Vietnam, which brought together in South Vietnam, exactly like the Department of Homeland Security, every police force, local police force, state police force, federal police force, every intelligence agency, and every military department, <laughs> and aimed them at the communists and the pacifists, and anybody who was providing any kind of, any political party that might present any kind of challenge <laughs> to the American puppets. You know, and in the United States, the American puppets are known as the Democratic and Republican parties. And, and they have this binary sort of trans-political identity where they sort of create little, this little recurring, ongoing anvil chorus of fight hammering out each other. But at the the root of both of them, it's the business part. You know, I mean, they they both represent businesses. And um, all those businesses are part of Homeland Security. They're part of the critical infrastructure. And now they're all joined together to create this huge security apparatus that's, that controls the whole United States. And it's based on the Phoenix program, and it, it's, which was the Phoenix program in South Vietnam was computerized, starting in 1968, where they started keep, keeping computer records of anybody who could be targeted as a communist or a communist sympathizer. Well, the, you know, the Department of Homeland Security has a gigantic computer, computers, was keep track of everybody. I mean, it's beyond anything that you could believe, but but um, uh, at the center of it is the CIA. And the CIA controls the Department of Homeland Security and the military operations, although they don't really have to tell the military what to do or the cops or, or anybody else because they're so ideologically indoctrinated. They, you know, I mean, it's just like Marine recruits. I mean, they somebody tells them what to do. Oh, yes, sir. No, no. You know, I mean, they, they don't really need to exercise a lot of because it's so ideologically pure. But at the heart of it is the CIA. And the CIA operates in with, in the Department of Homeland Security, clandestinely, 
through its Office of Intelligence and Analysis, okay, which all the rest of the branches, they have informal relationships with the CIA. But the CIA actually works in the Department of Homeland Security through the Office of Intelligence and Analysis. And that, that branch, which was always the core of the even the Office of Homeland Security, it and analyzes all the information that's being, you know, in a particular every, Department of Homeland Security sets up a fusion center, which is exactly like what the Phoenix Department program, the, the Phoenix program had intelligence operations coordinating centers in every village, district, and province in South Vietnam, which coordinate brought police, intelligence, and military services together. Well, this is what the Department of Homeland Security does. And every state, they have a fusion center, which coordinates all the intelligence and analyzes it from, from that state about, you know, well, the guy at the local 7-Eleven says that there's a guy that belongs to Antifon and comes in here and he gets a, you know, a six-pack, you know, every other night. And, and um, you know, boom, his name goes into the, the computer. And um, that goes to the, the computer at the fusion center in the state. And there, from there, it goes to the CIA. And the CIA looks and watches at these people and says, well, do they go overseas? And if they go overseas, then these be people become possible recruits for them, which is why they, they want to have control over the intelligence and the analysis of because everything through this one office and goes filters up to the CIA and then they can use it for, for hiring uh, Muslims to send to Syria or Somalia or anybody to send anywhere. It becomes a way for them to recruit agents. All right. And um, this, you know, because we live in a global village now. <laughs> and uh, we have to be able to reach into every part of the world. And, and the Department of Homeland Security provides this endless stream of potential recruits for the CIA through, the, through its Office of Intel Intelligence and Analysis, which after January 6th, I mean, and it keeps evolving and getting more perfect all the time. Besides being, you know, uh, totally dedicated to psychological operations to affect the, the beliefs of the of civilian Americans and to make them uh, hate communism and leftism and, and civil rights and all the, you know, traditional American military police and intelligence values. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they want to control them. I want to control all the political and social movements in the United States. And this is, and, 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 and Republicans and the Democrats are happy because the stasis, you know, 50, 49% of this, you know, I mean, uh, 201 to 212 creates this gridlock, which ensures that, that nothing ever changes and the rich just never pay less and less taxes all the time. Which is, if you just look at the statistics, you see it's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Okay, so this has been a very highly effective operation. But after after um, um, January sixth, they've created a new office within this within Department of Homeland Security, Intelligence and Analysis. They have now created domestic terrorism unit. Okay, and um, this is like what the whole thing had been evolving towards from the beginning. 
now the CIA can reach in and 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 uh, uh, manipulate the Proud Boys and the, and the Oath Keepers um, and and Antifa and anybody else it wants because that domestic terrorism unit and the Office of Intelligence Analysis is basically whether it says it on the on the um, organizational chart or not. You know, you're not allowed to put CIA on an organizational chart. It's a clandestine covert operation. It recruits guys in the military and the Department of Justice and the Treasury Department, and they become clandestine agents of the CIA. It creates, it, it, it recruits people in, in every business in the United States. I mean, this is how they operate overseas. They create guys work for Ford Motor Country, Company, and then they send them over to start a franchise in, in um, China. Uh, Okinawa. Yeah. You know, I mean, and now, now they've got an agent, CIA agents, running a Ford Corporation in, in Okinawa. I mean, you do this all over the world. And the Department of Homeland Security and the, the military are all glad to go. They're all glad to go along with this because it just perpetuates and, and uh, uh, solidifies the control of this ideology here in the United States. And 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 it now under Biden, it's reaching even greater <coughs> effectiveness and organizational purity and and it's just going to keep going on and on and on and on while while the trumpites and the um i don't know whoever they hate you know the black people or liberals you know keep keep uh, banging each other on the head you know and and, and in the meantime this guy uh, i can't remember who his name is going to go to the moon you know, some rich billionaire is gonna, you know, is gonna take a plane to the moon, you know, because this is what he always wanted to do, you know, since he was a little boy. And and this is a situation that we live in, and the Department of Homeland Security has established by Bruce Lawler and a couple of other people who were all basically manipulating poor Bruce, you know, who who was just like programmed to to do what he even, you know, from the time, you know, they had psychological profile this guy and they knew they could point him in a certain direction you know because he was seeking redemption with the with the with the military establishment and the cia they would do whatever they wanted you know i mean they just control them and set them forward like like those marines and and full metal jacket, you know, their boss tells the sergeant says, go, you know, kill all those people and they go do it. And this is where we find themselves, the situation that we find ourselves in now. And a person like me, who explains this very simply to you, is what's known as elitist. <laughs> you know, because I'm not part of one of these <clears throat> ideological factions. Uh, I'm just trying to look at it for what it is and what it's happening. So so that's the role and the function of how it evolves, civic affairs, psychological warfare, directed against Americans in order to create a society that allows the establishment of an organization, the Department of Homeland Security, that it covers every inch of the United States in every possible way, shape, form, with the ultimate purpose of giving the CIA more cloud overseas because of its potential to recruit in this global village that we live in, people that it can send overseas to do its building and advance the, and, and start turning the whole world into one big, um, you know, uh, junior chamber of commerce. 
you just you broke my brain. Well, I thought we've discussed all this before, haven't we? <laughs> Not that the it, it it's it, it's so simple. Label it critical infrastructure, and then you absorb it into the marriage of the state and the corporation, and it's total control. Oh yeah, sure. And it, like you know, just one last thing. Sure. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It, it I love started saying, after yeah. World War II. They had to organize the army in order to conduct civic operations, psychological operations. They had to actually organize it. So who did they choose? The head of the president of uh, General Motors, a guy named called Engine Charlie Wilson, mm-hmm. and, and Robert McNamara, who had run Ford Corporation. Yeah. I mean, these are salesmen for corporations. And from, from the end of World War II right up to now, it's been people from the private sector, the heads of big corporations, who have been chosen to organize and control the Department of Defense. Now, if you think that that's an aberration or that somehow it isn't you know, connected, that everywhere the, the, the generals go, they have contracts in their hip pocket. And when they, when they graduate from the military as a major general, they go and they sit on the board of a corporation or a multinational. If you think that's a, you know, a, an exception to what's going on, I mean, you know, really, join the Proud Boys or, or, the, or the Oath Keepers. You know, I mean, the whole thing is set up to advance the, the, the interests of the very wealthy corporate elite. And they basically have organized and controlled the military since World War II to that end. And they just get more and more sophisticated. And they made, you know, Mao Zedong has great leap forward in, in um, 2001. When, you know, out of nowhere, the Twin Towers got bombed by somebody who never knew they were coming, you know, and just like January 6th, you know, I mean, how do these things happen? You know, I mean, intelligence failures, you know, it's like, it's like how many times does somebody have to, you know, um, uh, fake out yeah. before you start thinking about things differently? But, you know. People are people, and you know they like going to church on Sunday and, and having barbecues, and you know that's what they really want to do. And and when it comes to actually trying to change themselves or the way they think about things to make a more equitable society, they you know that's really like way down on the list. And it, it, it compared to um, going to the, the shooting range, you know, and, and firing off you know a couple of rounds and, and feeling like you know a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an important thing to do and, and learn how to do. You know, uh, uh, so we live in a kind of um, uh, brainwashed society with very little chance of ever, re- you know, stopping, let alone reversing this process until um, the climate is utterly destroyed. And and like, who's the guy that's going to the moon? On his, on Jeff his, Bezos. Yeah, yeah, you know, until the, 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 all the rich people go to the moon. You yeah, know, when they start the a new perfect society with little Lolitas fed to them by Jeffrey Epstein, you know, and, and, and the Clintons can become kings again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, but that's that's where it's all heading. And, and uh, uh, in the meantime, you know, it's just uh, la, la, la. It, but it almost seems inevitable. 
It seems that this is what oh, was yeah, always going to happen. Inevitable. There's no way that it's yeah. it's ever going back. This is what we live in. This it's like old age. Um, you know, you get old, you die, yeah. and at the end, it's not very happy. Yeah. Well, you know, our society and our world have become a metaphor for um, you know the um, individual consciousness. You know, there's a point where you have. Um, um, God consciousness, where you real, where your ego, like with Bruce Lawler, vanishes. You know, you take some acid and you realize, you know, it's all one. And then you come down from the acid, like Bruce Lawler, and you find yourself without a job. And you know, um, well, actually, creating a peaceful, kind world becomes secondary when you have all sorts of resentments, and when you've lost the Vietnam War. And when black people um, are starting to make advances, you know, uh, all these things become sources of uh, the kind of sources of resentment and shame that a demagogue like Trump can can just roll up into a ball and and, and create seventy million followers from it a day. Mm-hmm. And he, he, I remember, he, you know, back before he started running, I can't remember it was a newspaper guy. He turned to it and he said, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, all of a sudden I'm a leader with 70 million people. You know, he didn't even, you know, he was just as astounded as anybody else. But all those, you know, he had people like Stephen Miller working for him and Fox News who knew how to play, again, psychological civic operations on the resentments and shame and loss that white people were feeling. So- I mean, you know, and, and even though they haven't lost anything, yeah. and even though they have no reason to feel shame, uh, you know, those feelings are created within them, and then they're used, you know. And if people just really took a step back and realized that's not the way to go, then, then things would change. But people are too stupid, you know, and that ain't going to happen. Now, now is there, and I know you said we got we got to wrap this one up, but We've talked about uh, this. We've talked about this before. Off- of course, <clears throat> I can't talk anymore. Oh no, you're good. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll wrap it up. We've talked about this before, though, with psychedelics and love. If everything is one, and we are all one, and we're one God consciousness, then do- then does any of this even matter? Is this just a? Is this just an one second in the dream of God? that it becomes the Department of Homeland Security and critical infrastructure. Is this all, it's of no worry, because it will die. There's a a new concept that, if you want to talk about the aesthetic part of it at some point. Sure. You know, God's shame is, is, God is evolving like Bruce Lawler. Okay. And, uh, um, God is a projection of human consciousness. He's not a real thing. You know, I mean, consciousness is consciousness. But there's been so much anti-consciousness that consciousness has now become ashamed of itself. And I call it God's shame. Okay. And this is the new phase that humanity has entered into. And uh, uh, very sad to see, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the whole idea of God's just a, a 
projection of what's going on inside humanity, you know, the humans. And anyway, um, uh, snakes don't have to think about it. Yeah, it's you know, chipmunks aren't really interested in this this stuff. You know, they want to gather some nuts. You know, I mean, and they're perfect, innocent beings. And 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 uh, at some point, you know, humans with their consciousness got off track. And it went from from being God's love to being God's shame. But I can talk to you about that at some point. And, uh, uh, you know, how this, everything that's going on in the world right now is sort of a reflection of that. I think that would be a wonderful episode we could do. Um, real quick, if you want, um, could you tell everyone about the book you're working on? Or are you keeping that close to the chest? Yeah, it's it's a book uh, called... Um, uh, I haven't got a publisher yet. I hate. It's like how did it go to a publisher's? You, you know, you got to get that on your hands and knees. And, you know, some thirty-year-old kid that you know kisses ass. You know, and then the publishers say, you know, well, who are you? You know, and what have you ever done? You know, and I've got it. And then you got to sign contracts. It's just awful. But writing the books is fun. It's called Pisces Moon. Okay, beliefs. And brutal truths about America, and um, uh, it is um, a lot about my private, my personal evolution, and all those set against you know events since World War II. I think that will be fantastic because you are a fantastically interesting person. I love talking to you, Mr. Valentine. You are wildly intelligent. You're one of the few people that I can just sit here and listen to. It's you. You really are you. You really are a treasure, and I, I am okay, infinite. Well, come over and do some garden. I know I owe you some garden work because I bailed on our podcast yesterday, so I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. Yeah, shovel some shit and rake your lawn. Let's. I'll send you an email. Let's definitely. I would love to do another podcast on what you talked about—the reflection of the projection of God as human consciousness moving from innocence and love to God's shame. I think that would be a fantastic podcast. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Mr. Valentine. Your books, The Phoenix Program, as well as The CIA's Organized Crime, both on Audible. Both books I highly, highly recommend. I'll put them in the description as always. They are fantastic listens. The Phoenix Program is one of the most terrifying books I've ever listened to. I won't spoil it, but the shit we did in Vietnam will make your blood turn to ice. It's insane. Mr. Valentine, thank you so much, sir. God bless everybody. Stay safe. And I'll I'll email you. All right. Goodbye. You have a good one. Recording stopped.